Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. My name is Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. As part of this series, we're connecting with PMMs all over the world about various product marketing topics. Today, I'm joined by Chad Myros, the Product Marketing for Core User Engagement at Clever. Throughout his career thus far, Chad has found himself in roles and at organizations that in some way either directly or indirectly impacts the world of education. A former educator, Chad is passionate about student access to quality education and empowering teachers to deliver quality instruction and content. In the world of EdTech, Clever is the most widely used single sign-on platform for K-12 education adopted by more than 65% of US-based K-12 schools. Clever helps unlock a wealth of digital learning so teachers can meet each student where they are, bringing all applications into one secure portal and providing single sign-on for everyone in the district. With the help of technology, Clever strives to solve extremely challenging problems that the education system has been facing for decades. During our conversation, Chad and I explore the unique nature of product marketing in the edtech space, as well as research tips and tricks, staying relevant without sounding cliche, and working cross-functionally with teams handling related by very different audiences. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into it. Hey, Chad, how's it going? Hey, Mark, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it then. So before we get into the meat of our conversation today, could you just share with our listeners your journey to Clever and what you do there? Yeah. So when I first left grad school, as you had mentioned, I was a high school English teacher for about five years. Um, I transitioned to the ed tech space and worked at Coursera for about a year, working on community uh, management and working with universities and learners on the platform. Um, I transitioned to working at Quizlet, where I was really dedicated to the teacher experience using Quizlet. Um, got to do some cool things globally with Quizlet and our teachers across the globe. And now I'm at Clever, where I lead the product marketing around the teacher experience and also the school tech lead. Um, and we just launched a project called or a product called Clever Messaging um, that I was the lead PMM for. So it's been an exciting time here. Yeah, it sounds like it. It seems like there's a lot of interesting things happening in the ed tech space as it's an area that, you know, even in my own education experiences to date, it seems like tech is um, a little bit slow to be adopted, let's say, by a lot of different um, arms or areas of, of the education space. So I'm sure working at Clever, you get to expose to some of that adoption and, and some of those hesitations and addressing those head on. Yeah. And, you know, there was a large uptick, particularly with the pandemic hitting and schools going virtual and remote learning. So it's been Definitely an interesting experience witnessing pre-pandemic ed tech adoption and then the spike post-pandemic or during pandemic. Um, so it's definitely been an interesting ride in the engagement. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, speaking of interesting rides, uh, I think one of the most interesting aspects of your career thus far is your time as an educator. Can you help me and our listeners understand how being a teacher has helped you as a product marketer or more generally in your career thus far? Yeah, you know, and I hate to say this, I think as cliched as this, teachers just don't get the credit that they deserve. And a lot of the skill sets I had as a teacher translate into marketing, right? Um, project management, having to manage the different students and their work that's going on, as well as, you know, the creativity that comes behind creating lesson plans or also engaging your students, right? Staying active, you know, I don't think I need to say it, but keeping a teenager engaged in learning for 55 minutes <laughs> about Shakespeare or whether it be Lord of the Flies or some Toni Morrison novel takes some, you know, creativity and some excitement and pizzazz. And so I think that's really helped with marketing in the sense of, you know, when you're re doing user research and you're engaging with users and make sure the conversation is productive or designing campaigns that are going to get adoption for a product or 
um, you know, having to work cross-functionally and manage different projects at different times. Um, as our listeners know, when you're in ed tech, it's very rare that you have one project you're working on for the entire quarter. There's typically five, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten. So I think a lot of that time management and creativity and, um, you know, excitement around work and impact really helped transition to marketing in my role now in product marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you talk about this idea of creativity and energy and excitement, I'm sure that goes a long way in gaining the attention and maintaining the attention of your customers. Uh, you know, much like a high school student, attention spans with your average B2B or B2C consumer nowadays is pretty minimal because there's so many constant distractions and so many different solutions to consider whenever you're looking um, to pursue um, a different kind of solution as a buyer. So I can imagine being a teacher, learning some of those, let's call them attention grabbing skills or a way to engage with your audience in a way that really gets them you know, excited and, and engaged in the information you're trying to share, I'm sure helps quite a bit. For sure. And also when you've stood in front of a classroom for, you know, five years, 150 students uh, a day, you know, leading webinars as a marketer or attending events and having to engage with complete strangers, but seem excited and make them feel welcoming just comes like a second nature. So I've, I've definitely enjoyed that part of marketing as well. Yeah, I can imagine there are fewer, more critical audiences than high school students <laughs> when it comes to speaking and presentation skills. Right, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, let's let's dive into again the meat of our conversation today. I've got a couple of questions around some of the topics I mentioned in your introduction here. Um, so we'll get right into it. You know, I think one of the interesting aspects of working in edtech that you mentioned prior to our chat today was that edtech customers aren't your typical B2B or B2C customers. Can you explain why you feel that's the case? Yeah, so I'll start with the B2C side. Um, you know, when you think of teachers in my experience or my, my career getting teachers to engage with ed tech products. These aren't your typical consumers that are looking for a product to fill a need in their free time or their pastime, right? Like this is their career that ultimately they're looking for products that are going to serve them to serve others. And so these consumers, these teachers in this moment are in the profession for perhaps ethical reasons, social justice reasons. Um, they're also experts in their subject area. A lot of them are academics. And so it's not the easy, hey, I can solve this problem for you, and they're going to believe it and test it out. These are these consumers or these teachers in this moment in EdTech are critical thinkers, right? Just because I'm promising you, hey, I'm going to save you time because X, Y, and Z, teachers are going to hit you back with, oh, really? Are you saving me time? Because actually, I can do it this way rather than, you know, if you're trying to sell like movie tickets or, hey, actually you know, buy this Groupon, it's not like an easy, like, oh, okay, sure, I'll do that. There's a lot of critical thinking that goes into that. And, you know, likewise, on the, the B2B side, working with our partners or school districts, there's multiple agendas, and there's state standards, and then there's federal standards, and everyone's on different standards. And so it's not just a one piece, one shoe fits all. Um, you know, these users really think through what they're adopting, why they're going to adopting, and what the implications are, both, you know, state, local, federal, whatever regulation may be in place. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, out of curiosity, when it comes to the, you know, kind of identifying the, the buyer journey and the process that, you know, someone who's considering Clever would go through to decide whether or not it's the right solution for them, how many different parties would you see typically gets involved in that process? Because like you said, you've got obviously your educators, they're considering what's the best outcomes for their students. Then you've got the various, you know, boards and government bodies that are overseeing potentially the way that school runs uh, their day to day. So I'm just curious, like, what does that process kind of look like as best you can describe it? 
Yeah, so I would say on the adoption side, the B2B side, it really falls on the C-suite and the district executives to decide if they want to use implement Clever. Uh, one of the great things about Clever is we're, we're free. Um, and so that's kind of a big value proposition for, for school districts. And um, on my end, we call that side sort of the top-down engagement, right? Like they enable it, they open Clever to the teachers, decide what capabilities happen. I work on the user engagement, kind of the bottom up engagement. So once a school district approves and the C-suite says, sure, let's implement it, district administrators or IT workers are trained on what the platform is, I then work on getting the teachers trained and engaged in using it. And so, yeah, on the adoption side, it really comes down to C-suite and district you know, execs deciding if they want to use this tool or not. Interesting. And you mentioned earlier about you know, having to engage with sometimes different government uh, representatives or, or, or government bodies. I'm curious, are there any inherent challenges of working as a product marketer in an industry like education that's so highly regulated? Yeah, I think particularly when you're developing positioning or messaging or value propositions for teachers around what this tool can do or what this product can do for your classroom. And I think one of the key ways of speaking to this audience is understanding the nuances of the teacher journey or education as a profession and a career. And so again, with the different state regulations, when you're trying to say like, hey, this tool will help you meet this state standard or this common core standard or this pedagogical nuance in a certain way, it's hard to know, is that gonna land based on what region is using it, right? Like. I could say, hey, this is a great common core standard push, but this teacher or our majority of our users could be in Florida and they're using the Florida state standards and that's irrelevant. So that's kind of that balance of how do you make it applicable to all, but each detail nuance fits what state standard regulation this school or teacher may be in. Yeah, and I think that ties quite nicely into the the next question I had and, and really how that concept of being regulated and, and keeping track of all those different standards, depending on the district or state that you're trying to sell into and how that impacts the overall go-to-market strategy. Um, you know, we talked about in the introduction about how trying to stay relevant and how do you balance that um, desire to stay relevant without sounding cliche, as I'm sure you've probably come across quite a few cliche marketing campaigns and efforts in the space of education, because it is this space that there's a lot of cliche sentiment at times around. Right. You know, and again, I think with with the pandemic and the virtual learning and virtual teaching experience, it kind of changed that. But I'll fully confess, yeah, as a teacher myself, when I would get emails from ed tech companies telling me, hey, here's how you should teach or here's a solution for your classroom. And it's people who've never taught before. I, I won't lie. It was like delete, ignore. Uh, um, and so I would say the way to stay away from cliche is like, really understanding this audience and users, right? I think the, the overarching narrative around teaching or schools that everyone knows is teachers need more time, teachers aren't paid, teachers are busy, teachers need to stay organized. So if I'm a teacher and I'm hearing from 20 people, we'll save you time, stay organized, and you know, save your students learning with this, why am I going to click this email versus the other 10 that say the same exact thing? And so I think the way to avoid cliches really, and I think that's the heart of marketing and it, it takes a little bit of research with the teacher side is like really understanding this profession and these users, right? A lot of teachers, if we go back to what I had said earlier, don't feel respected or that, that they're masters of their craft or, you know, teaching's not really a profession. You can jump in and jump out of it. They just need to be taught felt, you know, respected. And so if you're coming to them with like an understanding of teacher pedagogy or what, 
student engagement looks like or what their end goals are. And you're actually speaking the language of teachers and not speaking the language of tech or marketing. I think that is the way that you stay relevant and kind of break through the cliches. I'm not saying that teachers will automatically assume, oh, <laughs> this product gets me, I'm going to use it. But it, you know, it gets you past that other, let's say maybe 60% that got ignored in their email because it said the same exact thing as what other companies said. Yeah, interesting. And I'm curious if we could just spend some time chatting about your unique position as someone who works in product marketing, but also spent time working in the space that you're directly trying to sell into. I don't think many product marketers are, I don't know if you want to say fortunate or unfortunate, I guess, depending on your perspective of living that experience. I'm curious how that has helped you as a product marketer, even just while working at Clever. Are you finding others outside of you know the team or even within the team are coming to you for, hey, how does this sound? Do you think you know, educators will buy this? Like, is that kind of your experience or are you, are you seeing it play out in different ways? Yeah, one great thing about Clever, I'll say, is there's a lot of former educators at the company, which actually drew me to working at Clever. So that's been um, an amazing asset in Clever. But yeah, in prior and previous roles, it for sure was, hey, does this sound relevant to a teacher? Hey, do you think a student would engage with this? Um, I will say it's a double-edged sword because sometimes I'll write positioning messaging statements as if, I'm still the teacher and I'm talking to my colleagues. And then, you know, you'll run up into issues of like, well, that doesn't sound like our, our brand and voice. Like we're not teachers or, or, you know, sometimes I'll get caught up in a little bit of like some of the, the ad tech marketing speak. And I'll read a statement back to myself like an hour later and I'll laugh and I'm, and, and have to reflect on who am I talking to? Like that does not, that sounds super tech. Like that's not teachers. So it's, it's a, it's a balance between the two. Um, but yeah, I will say I'm fortunate to be a clever with a lot of former teachers, but in the past it was, there, there were a lot of moments where I've had to really advocate for the user of that's not what a teacher is looking for. That's not how you talk to a teacher. Teachers aren't doing that in the classroom. And yes, you're saving time, but a teacher is willing to spend more time for you know a greater quality experience. So there's certain nuances and moments of that that I've definitely had to advocate for. Yeah, interesting. And I'm curious when you find yourself, you know, getting farther and farther away from your time as an educator as time moves on, do you find that you have to go back and actually seek out opportunities to speak with people who are still teaching today just to make sure that you're still in that same state of mind and you're still kind of not necessarily keeping up with the field as it evolves, because I'm sure at Clever you're doing that already, but just trying to keep yourself in that headspace of what it like what it's like to be an educator, not fully falling into this role of just being a truly a product marketer. Yeah. So I have a lot of close friends from my time as a teacher that I still talk with and you know, I hear their stories, whether they're successes or horror stories of the classroom and teaching during the pandemic and adopting tech. But um, yeah, it's interesting you said that's something I've reflected on as as the time is going on, you know, how do I stay plugged in and I'm not living the same challenges, you know, shout out to the teachers that had to teach through the 2020 school year. But also that's what I enjoy about ed tech and product marketing in particular is the user research and working directly with our users. So I get that energizing conversations from teachers and district administrators. And, you know, sometimes now with products, I'm speaking with families. And so um, really keeping an ear to the ground and feeling that pulse of what's going on in the teacher world is like one of the great things I think about product marketing is that you're very customer focused. Yeah. And on that notion of being customer obsessed and, and research, um, I was wondering if you had any tips or tricks you can share with our listeners about how to approach research with a customer base that is sometimes overlooked or not appreciated in the same way as consumers with, you know, deep pockets or businesses with money to burn. Yeah. And so the tip kind of also goes back to what you had mentioned a bit about having been a teacher is really using your listening skills and facilitating a discussion with teachers. I feel like, yes, 
you know, you're doing, you're doing re user research because you need something as a marketer to inform product decision or roadmap or features or milestones. But you should go into this conversation with teachers are the experts on the classroom, right? Despite what, what hypotheses I might have about what feature might be the best or what development or what milestone or what design prototype might be the easiest. At the end of the day, like approach the conversation with teachers as the experts of their classrooms and their profession and the subject area. Um, you know, I've had a lot of moments where I've worked with products and had to differentiate it among like English teachers, math teachers, science teachers, but then also elementary school teachers. And you have to understand like, although they're all teachers, they're very different teachers in very different ways and they have different skill sets and sets. So I think really understanding who your users are and opening that conversation, doing a little bit of research into what an elementary school day looks like versus what a high school day looks like versus standards for teaching science versus teaching the humanities. I think that really equips you into understanding the, the experience better and really getting details and, you know, deep understanding of the user experience that you can take back to inform product. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to just dive into that a little bit further. You know, when you look at the education space, you're, I'm sure, dealing with educators who are career educators. They've been doing nothing but educating for their entire lives, some of them. Um, and I'm curious, you know, when you're trying to, whether it's through research or just casual conversations or in a selling environment, when you're speaking to educators at various stages of their career, do you find some are more receptive or hesitant towards adopting technology in the classroom? Like, are you, are you sometimes talking with your educators who are like, hey, I've been doing it pen and paper my whole career. Why should I even consider a solution like Clever or even using it in my classroom when I've gotten by so far doing things the old way? Well, and it's so funny to say that, Mark, and that's something that's been interesting to apply a new framework to former colleagues of mine in the sense of, you know, the persona and segments are so different across the different teachers, right? You have the innovator teachers who want to adopt technology and they're super excited and they're open ears. You know, you have the more pragmatic ones that are a bit, okay, sure, but you haven't really sold me. And then at Clever, we like to call them the traditionalists that are very much, I've done this for 20 years. I don't need to hear what's new. This works. And so it's, it's interesting um, applying that framework and thinking about them as like funnel adoption and thinking about how am I going to get these teachers from traditionalists to innovator and not saying that it's always going to happen, but the way that I've learned, I've, I've think about, I've thought about these um, different segments and personas is like, like the funnel, right? Getting them to activate across. And so I don't think you're going to get a traditionalist instantly to be innovative and adopt clever. But if you can empower your innovators to support your more pragmatic kind of middle, not excited, but kind of excited to then empower that not at all, Teachers are going to listen to each other. I think word of mouth marketing is like a really strong tactic in that environment. And so exactly what you're saying is I try to empower those different sort of groups to influence each other and kind of bring them along. I love that. That's, a, that's something I want to highlight for our listeners real quick, because I think that insight you just uncovered is incredible. Um, and something I haven't come across is, you know, oftentimes when we look at personas and segmentation, we kind of see them as static as I've got this group of, of consumers who've kind of fall under this segment or they're like this persona and then I've got this one and this one and this one and never shall those different groups of people interact. But in the environment that you find yourself in at Clever, it sounds like there obviously is a lot of day-to-day -day interaction. So I think the way that us as product marketers need to challenge ourselves is how can we play those personas or their segments off one another in a way that they're positively influencing each other and you know, leveraging their own networks and their own world, uh, realms of influence to 
get those people who are a little bit resistant to your solution slowly on board. I think that's a unique perspective that I actually, I've never come across myself. And I'm sure our listeners, if they start to think about their own segments or personas that way, they might actually start to see some of that transition happen. Um, and I'm sure you could probably speak at length about some of the ways that you've done that at Clever. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, could you highlight maybe one or two times where you've seen that actually play out in it successfully or, or what kind of maybe strategies or tactics you leverage to actually see that transition take place? Yeah, totally. So, you know, one thing we think about is on, on Clever, at least you have a teacher portal and there's different features on the portal and there's, there's a user journey of what we want teachers to do when they log in, you know, all the way up back to retention. And so we've thought about those different segments, right. Of, okay, obviously the standard is let's, let's change up targeting and positioning and the way that we're going to message this to them and we'll hook them into the tools in different ways. But one of the one of the ways that we played with the kind of cross-functional work on the teacher side is um, in one of the email campaigns to the more active, the more uh, you know innovative sort of teachers, we kind of hinted towards like, hey, here's some resources to train teachers at your school or support your coworkers, but we made sure that those resources also complemented well with the messages and emails the other kind of segments were getting, right? Because based on behavior and product data and looking at sort of, you know, analytics, teachers at the same school, they could be at the same school, but they're getting different types of email, right? And so really piecing that together and kind of kind of setting them up to work together and then it making sense, right? I think a lot of the fear with the the not as excited or more traditionalist is like technology is scary, but if they feel welcomed and warm and, oh, look, it's making sense with like what these teachers are doing. Um, and, it, and it did work. It activated um, some completion rates we needed for our um, like our like onboarding clever. It's called Clever Academy. It's an onboarding program to get teachers certified and trained. Um, and it really worked to driving completion rates and getting teachers to participate that. And, you know, again, I feel like that's a little bit of a secret from having been a teacher of when you have students in the class and it's heterogeneous and you have different learning levels and you want to be inclusive and get people working together. um, There's a way to set up the sort of leaders supporting the, you know, making everyone feel like they have a stake at the table in different ways. So that that's kind of how that worked for us. Yeah. I love that. I think if I could just quickly draw a parallel, you know, oftentimes in we talk about the, you know, the buyer journey or trying to, sell your solution to uh, in an environment where there's so many stakeholders and so many people need to sign off. It's all about finding that internal champion who's really going to look at your solution and say, hey, we need this, not like tomorrow, we needed this yesterday. Like, let's push this through the door. I don't care what, you know, love, remember the CC that you need to get on the email thread or I need to get a meeting with, like, we need to buy this solution. I think the perspective that you're seeing that lens through is through the realm of adoption. Like, who are your internal champions um, across that adoption funnel, as you said, that you need to really activate to pull others through. So I really like that that theme or that story that you're kind of developing around, you know, like pulling people through the process because you have people across um, your customer base who are, like you said, like various levels of excitement and comfort with your solution. And it's all about identifying those personas or those segments or those even individuals who are going to get other people on board and pull them through the process. So I think I love that. And I think that's a great way to kind of apply some of the, let's call them foundational, just like things that we know about how we sell in product marketing to how we can then get people um, to leverage our solution in the context of adoption. Yeah, no, it's definitely been an interesting experience, like even running experiments and tests across the different users, right? As you had mentioned, like working closely with our growth partners and and looking at value props and ways to make them come together. So I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you're liking that idea. 
Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, every product marketer knows or quickly learns that a key to being successful is working and collaborating cross-functionally. You know, based on what you shared with me prior to our chat today, it sounds like internally there are various teams responsible for or engaging with many different audiences um, at Clever, whether it's with school, school districts, to teachers, to families and students. You know, how do you manage the inherent complexity of that environment and work in an effective cross-functional way? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, even beyond the the complexities of like the ed tech space of the different audiences internally, like every product marketer, I'm working with customer success teams that are running across the different audiences. I'm working with, you know, designers, product managers, engineers, other product marketers, other growth marketers to really tell this holistic story. But all of us have different stakes at the table. And so an example of this would be, we just launched a product called Clever Messaging. Um, which is a tool that enables teachers to stay in touch with their students as well as guardians. And so, it, you know, it's interesting to run a product for teachers that's going to touch guardians and students when, again, as I mentioned, we need district buy-in. And so a lot of the positioning and what it can do and what features and where and security measures and what's going on, it took a lot of upfront negotiating and product review with the district's team to let them know of like, here's what this product can do. Here's the safeguards. Here's what, you know, here's some objection, objection handling, some sales enablement, let our districts know this is what the tool can do. Um, and then when it came down to designing, what is it going to be able to do for teachers and guardians? Um, you know, there was a lot of opinions on what the messenger should look like to engage teachers, but then what should it look like to get families involved? Our family's going to use it, but you know, families want these features, teachers want those features what do we build? We can't build this big, robust product. Like, what are we going to do? And so really navigating that sort of cross-functional work, I think the secret to that is really the product marketer's user research and data, right? I think we all have hypotheses and theories on what will be best, but when you're out there and you have hard, raw data from your users, from your teachers, from the guardians, that's what you really leverage in telling the story. And I think as the product marketer, what's really helped unify everyone is being able to craft those positioning statements and those messaging um, and sort of temple campaign moments that aligned everyone on. We really do have one common mission to, to keep everyone connected and to boost learning. So I think that was a little bit of the secret. Um, it definitely wasn't perfect. Uh, there's a lot of regulations around what districts want, to, you know, teachers and students to do with a messaging tool in particular. Um, but I think that is really what helps shepherd the, the different opinions and the conflicting ideas and yeah, various designs and prototypes. I think it really was that story that the product marketer creates and, you know, bringing everyone eternally along kind of is a great test of like, are you going to bring externally all of your users along on the journey? Yeah, absolutely. And as you were, as you were explaining that, I kind of got this analogy in my head and for anybody who's listened to the podcast these past couple episodes knows I'm a big fan of an analogy and I, I kind of liken it to the phrase of like too many cooks in the kitchen, right? You've got all these internal stakeholders who are balancing their own, you know, customer um, wants and needs, but at the end of the day, all these different cooks have to come together and follow this one unified recipe and, and how you kind of explain it. It sounds like as a product marketer, we need to, come with those user insights through research or just through analysis and data that kind of access that recipe 
that, yeah, you might have some cooks going off and, you know, trying to bring in this ingredient or, or this perspective, but really at the end of the day, as a product marketer, you have to point back to the recipe and say, no, like, no, this is what we know to be true because this is what we've learned from our customers. And this is what we have to refer to if we want to make our customers actually like the meal that we're trying to cook as a team here. So, you know, again, that's just my corny way of kind of summarizing what you're saying here is as a product marketer, rely on the things that you know to be objectively true um, to pull all those different opinions into place and just kind of guide them through it. And yeah, you can have some variations along the way, um, I'm sure, but you want to have that one source of truth to help kind of galvanize everyone in it. And just to add to that, it sounds like as you're speaking, highlighting the overall mission of, of the company has really helped in that way too. Um, so, you know, if you can filter that into it and look at everything through the lens of that mission, I help, I'm sure that helps unify everything as well. Yeah. And then also too, Mark, and I know when we're working cross-functionally, we want to be the best team players. But again, I think something that teaching teenagers helped, um, I am okay saying no to other ideas or suggestions that it's like, oh, but couldn't wait. No, like, this is what we're going to do. This is what makes sense. Um, and that's not that, oh, I don't want to hear other opinions and we're not come to a consensus, but even when everyone's come to a consensus, there's always going to be that, oh, but what if, and for time, you know, sake of time and just deliverability and our users you have to be able to be like, like you said, when there's too many cooks in the kitchen, like, no, this actually doesn't need paprika in this right now. <laughs> like, it'll be good. We can, we can make a remix of it down the line, but this will be great for now. So I think that's also yeah. been <laughs> kind of useful. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Awesome. Well, well, this has been great, Chad. I really enjoyed our conversation and we'll kind of wrap things up with our last question, which is a question I like to ask all of our guests on the show. And that's what advice or tips would you have for people looking to get into or build their career in product marketing? Yeah, I would say, as we had mentioned earlier, creativity is kind of a great key to success in product marketing. And I would say there's been times, particularly for myself, when I transitioned careers of, you know, I had this great idea, but I didn't have the confidence. And is that really going to change things? Are people going to buy into that? That's not something we really do. And so my advice is, is to take risks. If you feel like you understand your users and your audience, and you have ideas that you want to run with, go for it. I think that marketing is all about testing and understanding and figuring out and you know running those experiments. And I think every product marketer should feel confident in, in asserting themselves and their creativity in uh, what's going to get people adopting their product. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to grab the uh, extra paprika and throw it in there as long as you're not being a little too heavy handed, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll make some mistakes and it's okay. You'll bounce right back. But so far in my career, I haven't taken any companies down with me. So I recommend just going with it. That's always a good benchmark. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're, we're still here. We're good. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Chad. I've really loved our conversation today. And I, I think you provided our listeners with a lot of great insights um, around managing different stakeholders and conducting research. Um, so I really appreciate your time. And I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed our chat as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mark. And thank you to everyone that took the time to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And speaking of those listeners, if any of them want to reach out to you um, after they've listened and uh, just maybe ask you some questions about your journey so far, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Chad Myros. My last name is M-E-I-R-O-S-E. I guess you'll see that on the list. And um, yeah, feel free to reach out and I'm happy to connect and share insights and uh, you know anything else about product marketing and education. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chad. Uh, look forward to, uh, to I'm sure, chatting with you again soon. Take care. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, 
If you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.